Do you have what it takes to endure the brunt of blaming, shaming, guilting, and more in your relationship? I sure hope not. If that's what's happening to you right now, head over to my other podcast, Love and Abuse, over at loveandabuse.com. There, I hope you learn how to identify and deal with emotionally abusive behavior. Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello, welcome to the show. My name is Paul Coliani, and I'm here to help you learn to deal with difficult people and tackle life's challenges without compromising who you are. This show consists of my personal opinions and is meant for informational purposes only. Always seek a professional for your mental health and well-being. Where are we going today? I think we're going to address, I don't know, one, maybe more issues on um, a very difficult partner in a relationship. One person wrote to me and said that her ex-husband of like maybe two decades ago abused her physically and sexually for many years. And she said she was lucky to be alive. He basically abused her in every way possible. And I'm so sorry that she had to go through that. But she said that was a long time ago. And I went through many years of therapy, including treatment for PTSD. I feel like a quote, normal person. I don't freak out anymore at the things that used to freak me out. And um, I don't have any night terrors to wake my neighbors. To say the least, I have come a long way. I've promised myself that I would never be with a man that put his hands on me in anger. And um, now I'm with somebody that made a promise to me that he would never touch me in anger. But he broke it last year and I'm not able to trust him like I did. He doesn't seem to understand the magnitude of what that promise meant to me. Yes, he knows what I went through. We have discussed it in detail many times. There's no blind trust anymore, and there never will be because I have seen what he's capable of. But I agreed to still give the relationship a try. We've been together for over a decade, and it's a long time to be with someone, and uh, financially, I really can't afford to live on my own. He hasn't touched me in anger again, and I really don't think he will. What bothers me the most is he acts like he didn't do anything wrong. I laid out my entire belief system and he does nothing to try and make things right. If we argue, he threatens to throw me out. He makes it sound like I'm the one causing issues when he's having the issue. I see it as classic narcissistic behavior. But the one that gets me, he says, you made me do it. My God, I hate that. No, your choices made you do it. You made the choice to do it, not me. When we argue, I try to walk away, but he bullies me and follows me through the house and continues on and on. I will try to stay silent, but he eventually wears me out and I react in a negative way. And then it's World War III. The advice I'm seeking is, do you think it's worth saving? I've only given you a brief synopsis of the relationship, but just by what you read, am I a complete idiot for trying? There is a good man underneath if he can only see what he's doing, but I don't think he does. He's never been to therapy, but under there at the core of him is a good man, but... I don't know if I'm the one who's going to see the good man come out. Please tell me it's worth it in the end. Tell me there's hope or tell me I'm dreaming because I can't keep doing crazy. Thanks for your time. All right. Thank you for sharing that. So sorry you went through that first relationship. And now here's your uh, PTSD coming true. At least it did at that one moment. And you said a couple things. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot to unpack here, but You said a couple things that really stick out to me, and one of them is there is no blind trust anymore, and there never will be because I have seen what he's capable of. 
if you had just sent me that one line, I would tell you that it can't work unless you're okay being with somebody that you can't trust. And from your history, from your past, being with somebody you can't trust means you're going to live, and I'm just putting words in your mouth, I know it, but it means that you're going to live in fear every day. I hope that's not true. I hope that's not true. Maybe it's not, because you did say, I don't think he's going to do that again. But you lost that, quote, blind trust. So how can you ever feel very comfortable around him? Because if you have no blind trust there anymore, no trust that everything will be fine and you can be yourself around him, then you can never be yourself around him. It's very difficult to be yourself, be comfortable in your own skin, be comfortable just sitting in the house, or be comfortable in a normal, healthy relationship argument because you don't feel safe that he might do this again. I don't know if you've tuned into my episode over at loveandabuse.com called um, If You Don't Know Your Limits, You Won't Have Any. That's when you increase your level of toleration and resilience to the point where toleration and resilience don't matter anymore. It's to the point where you've learned to tolerate this much, so you're going to go to the next level and tolerate the next level of whatever you're going through your suffering. It's that frog in the boiling water analogy where the frog is in water, and as the water gets hotter, the frog gets used to it until it gets boiling. And now, that's not a correct analogy. It's not actually true. <laughs> I don't know how they tested this, but it's important to understand the the concept behind it. I think it's a, a very valid concept behind it where the water gets hotter as you sit in it and it gets to the point where it's burning you, but because you've gotten used to it, as it got hotter and hotter and hotter, you don't jump out. So that's the whole concept. I'm sure everyone's heard it, but the point is that episode on love and abuse is all about how your toleration and your resilience increase as you're in the abusive or um, a situation where you're suffering a lot. So this situation that you're in sounds like you're suffering a whole heck of a lot. And if you aren't listening to love and abuse, you need to because there are several red flags that you have listed in your message. Like I said, when you said there is no blind trust anymore and there will never will be because I've seen what he's capable of, that to me is enough to say, well, then I'm going to ask you the question. Do you want to be with somebody that you can't trust? I know what your answer is. No, I don't want to be with somebody that I can't trust. And I, I know the but, but I don't have the finances. So this is when we have to look at our priorities. What is your priority? What do you value most? So I look at this message and I say, you know, if this were me and I was in an awful relationship where I was abused physically, sexually, in every other way, someone could be hurt. If I was in that situation and, and I decided that I would never, ever take that from anyone else ever again, in my opinion, the first time it happened would be the last time it would ever happen and I would guarantee it because I would be out of there. Now, that's not fair for me to say to you. That's not fair for me to tell you to do that. I'm not telling you to do that at all. We all have our own challenges when it comes to doing what we want to do. Sometimes we can't do what we want to do. But I have a value that 
if I'm disrespected, if I'm humiliated, if I'm hurt, if someone causes me suffering, then I don't want them in my life. And if I can't grow to trust them again, if I can't grow to trust someone again, and they've really proven themselves, then I would probably move on. Again, I'm not giving you that advice. I'm not offering that as a suggestion. I'm telling you, uh, I guess, how I think. The way I think is I line up what's most valuable in front of me. And I ask myself, is money more important than being with somebody that I trust? Is money or being able to afford things more important than feeling like I could be physically abused every day? Even though logically I can say, well, I know it's not going to happen because he really learned his lesson. But can I be comfortable in my own skin enough to uh, be okay every day? Or am I going to have that fear? I don't want to live in fear. One of my top values is being comfortable with the person I'm with. You know, one of the top relationship values, at least. I want to be comfortable with them. I want to be able to trust them. I want to have open conversations where we can have an argument or a disagreement without worrying that it's going to go somewhere that would definitely cause me harm or at least have me in an emotional turmoil that I didn't feel safe or free to speak my mind. Because what you're describing here is you're basically telling me, I am afraid to be myself around this person. I am afraid to allow myself to be comfortable around this person. I can't be comfortable around this person, even though I know he won't hurt me anymore. Again, I'm only using a very tiny little bit of your email here to me. I started off with the sentence, there is no blind trust anymore and there never will be because I have seen what he's capable of. That's all I'd need. If I can't trust you, if I can't trust the person I'm with, then I don't really want to be with you. And again, there are circumstances where we just can't get up and leave. But I'm the type of person that if I felt physically threatened, emotionally unsafe, if I felt like I couldn't be myself, if I felt like I couldn't show up as me, then I don't want to be there. Especially if I had this very abusive past. I don't want to be near someone that is capable of doing that. Now let me talk about the red flags, all these red flags that you're talking about. He follows you around the house. That's a dishonoring of boundaries. He bullies you. That's a dishonoring of your worth and puts you in fear mode. He's putting you in fear mode. These behaviors that he's doing. You'll say that he'll eventually wear you out until you react in a negative way, which is probably reactive abuse. If you're not sure what that term means. It means sometimes you can't get through to an abuser until you talk their language. So you react in a way that they finally hear it. And then at that point, they point the finger at you and say, you're the problem. You're being abusive. But they put you there on purpose just to have power over you, to point the finger at you so that you then feel like you're responsible for the problems. You said that he acts like he didn't do anything wrong. Let me just address that for a moment. When I moved in with my now fiance, Asha, she had a um, history of childhood sexual abuse. The challenge when someone hasn't fully 
processed and fully healed from something in their past, something that impactful, that horrible in their past, is that you get into a relationship with someone like that, they're probably going to have trust issues. And because they have trust issues, you are immediately stepping into a relationship with somebody who doesn't trust you. Now, I'm not saying this happens all the time with every survivor of abuse. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying in this relationship, this is what happened to me. And in many relationships, this can happen, is that you get into a relationship with somebody who has been through abuse and they haven't fully processed and healed from it. Or even if they have, even if they fully processed and healed from it, there might still be some little programs in their mind that they need to be aware and they need to be careful around the person that is in their life now. And so when I came into this relationship, that's what I had to face. And that's what she had to face is that she didn't trust me. And that was very hard for me because I've had issues with people not trusting me and I felt like I was trustworthy. And so it was hard for me to accept that she couldn't trust me, especially now when I feel like I'm just being myself. I'm just being honest. I'm trying to be the best, the most transparent person I can be. And yet I still don't get trust that I feel like I deserve. So it was a very personal thing for me. And at the same time, I had to realize, well, it's not your fault that she has trust issues. You could be, it could be anyone, Jesus walking in and she might have trust issues with him because he's a guy or whatever, you know, think of somebody that, that should be fully trusted and she can't do it because she is still in that mindset. And, and I'm not putting her down for that. I'm just saying that when we started this relationship, that's what happened. She had trust issues and it came to a head a few times. I, I said, I don't know what to say to you because you don't trust me. And it's very hard for me to be in a relationship with you. I mean, these are real hard conversations. It's very hard to be in a relationship with you because you don't trust me. And she said, well, I, I, I can't trust you until I know for sure. And I can't trust you because you never know what could happen. And she's right. You, you don't ever know what could happen. I could turn on a dime and it would validate and justify her reason for not trusting me. I haven't done that. I don't plan on doing that. I believe that where I am today is I, I feel very comfortable being myself. And I believe she's seen the full version of who I am. We've been together almost nine years as of, as of this recording. So I believe she has seen just about everything that I could do. But, you know, things happen, new arguments come up, new issues come up. But um, when we have an argument, which thankfully isn't often, but when we do, there's no fear. It's not like I fear her attacking me or she fears me attacking her. It's not that at all. It's just a disagreement and we can talk about it later and we can apologize to each other later. And we get through it because neither of us live in that fear. And it did take a while for her to start trusting me, probably almost two years, actually. It didn't mean she didn't trust me. It just meant that she still had her reservations about me. She had her reservations about trusting me and um, trusting men in general because of the challenge she had, because of whatever she was dealing with, PTSD and an old trauma that hadn't healed yet. But I, I will tell you what, it takes a very special person 
to get into a relationship with somebody that has had a traumatic past. That doesn't mean, hey, I'm a special person. It just meant I had to learn a lot. I had to learn and I had to be resilient myself. I had to be patient myself. I had to learn that um, this kind of relationship isn't something that is easy to do at first. That was my lesson. It was not easy to get into a relationship with somebody who has uh, any type of PTSD regarding relationships. Her relationships, she thought, or at least as a child, she thought they were safe until somebody violated that trust. Somebody she felt safe around violated her feeling of safety. So she no longer trusted from that point on, or from some point on, she stopped trusting, or at least fully trusting. And it affected her life in a lot of ways. It changed her path. She ended up um, getting into relationships with not-so-healthy people. She got married to a very not-so-healthy person. And when she finally survived that and got out of that, uh, she spent a long time not dating anyone, not being with anyone, because she had to figure herself out. She had to process a lot of stuff. She dated here and there, and she got into other relationships, but nothing ever stuck. And there was a point where she just finally said, that's it. I'm not going to date anymore. Everyone I date is either crazy or a liar or we're just not compatible or they're not ready. There was always something. So she decided to just stop and just be with herself. And she decided to make a list. And this list consisted of the perfect partner or ideal partner. And her ideal partner was just a list of things that this person had to meet, this criteria that this person had to meet. So when she met this person, she would know that this is the right person for her because sometimes we get into relationships and we just think, oh, let's just see what happens, which is, you know, normal. <laughs> we have to see what happens. But sometimes we think that, okay, that was just a fluke. So let's just hope that doesn't happen again. So there might be behaviors that show up in a relationship that we say, let's just hope that doesn't happen again. Maybe that was a fluke. Oh, they made me feel bad. I hope that was a fluke. Maybe I did make a mistake. So let's just see what happens. But then they make me feel bad again, or they point out something that I'm doing wrong, and that makes me feel bad. And now we have these um, orange flags that are pointing at something that might be going on. But because we don't really have our criteria down, we just go with the flow and hope it all works out. We might not get to um, cut this off at the pass. We might not be able to stop something from developing that might not be good for us. This is why she made the list. She said, okay, he, I don't know the list. <laughs> she told me once, it's a long time ago, he's got to be honest. He's got to be um, fun to go out on dates with, or you know, whatever, whatever her list was. He's got to be um, free of baggage. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't happen. But <laughs> I think I met 95% of her criteria. That's what she said. 95%. I said, 95%, that's great. I'll take that. As long as that 5% is okay. I don't think I met the wealthy criteria. <laughs> but that's honest. She wanted somebody with all these qualities. And so when I met 95%, she said, well, that's close enough. And ever since, it's been great. Well, 
first couple of years was difficult, but we have worked through those things. And coming back to what I was saying, it does take a very special patient kind of person to be with somebody who's gone through trauma and still has maybe some PTSD, still has some healing over it, or even if they've done their healing, it still takes a special person to realize that things are going to come up that aren't about that person. Meaning, if something comes up for her, it may not be about me at all. Most of the time it isn't, thankfully. If something comes up for her and She's gone through a lot. She's gone through a lot of changes in our relationship. I've gone through a lot of healing and growing through our relationship and trying to understand her perspective and her mindset and where she is. And she shared a lot. And I've also given her that safe, non-judgmental space to be able to express things like, uh, I don't trust men and you're a man. <laughs> I had to give her that space to be able to express that and try not to get offended because I am a man and she said these things and it was difficult at first until I realized that these are just so set in stone it feels like in her. It feels like some of the stuff is set in stone and I just let her have or at least let her express those things without giving her any grief for them. I mean, I had my own, my own issues come up when she expressed those things, because I said, well, if you don't trust me, I'm a man and you don't trust me. And, you know, we had those conversations. Then we got through those conversations. And now I know she trusts me 100%. I know it because I was willing to go through the challenges of this growth. I was willing to allow her to speak her mind and express herself, even when it felt like she was talking directly about me. And it has been difficult at times because it does feel like she's talking directly about me at times until we get through that. And again, you, you have to give someone the space to be themselves, to be honest if they've gone through any type of trauma or abuse in their past. But what this has ended up doing is creating a, a much stronger bond. But it didn't come, that bond didn't grow and strengthen by me giving her a hard time or telling her to get over or telling her it's her fault or in this case with this person who wrote, following her around the house and talking at her instead of listening when she says, look, I don't want to talk. I mean, that's not what happens in a normal, healthy relationship. In fact, let me come back to the, what this person wrote. It's one of the key things in her message where he has chosen not to take responsibility for his own actions. He said, you made me do it. That is a classic deflection, redirection, putting the focus back on the victim and re-victimizing the victim as being the perpetrator of the other person's abusive behavior. That is completely off the charts of abusive behavior. It's manipulation. You made me do it. That's ridiculous. This is like goes back to childhood. Well, if Tommy told you to jump off the bridge, would you jump off the bridge? No, you wouldn't because you make your own decisions. You are consciously making your own decisions. In this case, yes, we can be driven to anger by other people, but we are making the choice to be engaged and involved and interact with the person that we may be arguing with. 
We can be driven to that. But if we go over the line and do any type of physical harm or put our hands on someone else, that is completely 100% our responsibility because we have made that choice whether we feel driven or not. We have chosen to take that route, even though people can make us so angry, but we can choose to walk away, even though we feel like we're right, we can still walk away because we feel so angry that we know we might cross the line, or we can choose to do something like this. And in this case, this person did that. Now, this can and does happen in relationships. Some relationships can get to that point. And I'm not saying that a relationship can't survive after that. Yes, they can. I've seen it happen. But it has to be talked about openly. The person who did it has to take responsibility and probably get help. If they don't get help, they've got to do something different. In this case, this person's message is that uh, he's not taking any responsibility. You made me do it. That's like saying, hey, you know, uh, we didn't have sex enough this month, so I went and cheated. But you made me do it because we didn't have enough sex. That means you can get away with anything. Hey, why did you buy that large screen TV? That really drained our bank account. You made me rob that bank. You made me do it. I wouldn't have had to rob the bank. No, you could have chosen any other way. You could have gotten a second job. We could have sold the TV. There's a million other choices. But the one you chose was that. So you chose that. You chose that direction to take. Just because you made the wrong choice or a bad choice doesn't mean it's my fault. It just means you haven't learned to make better choices. <laughs> and in this case... You made a choice that hurt another person. The person who wrote their partner made the choice to become physical. Well, I woke up late this morning and uh, it's not because I went to bed late, although I did. <laughs> it was because... I didn't want to get out of bed. I mean, imagine sliding into bed after a long day and feeling an immediate sense of relief and comfort. That's exactly what happened when my fiance Asha and I upgraded to Cozy Earth's bamboo sheets. When we first put them on, she laid down and it was like an instant sanctuary for her. She wanted to fall asleep right then and there. And I said, we got to continue making the bed. And she said, these sheets have been so helpful for her hot flashes and she loves that they are cool when she needs them to be. Cozy Earth isn't just a name, it's a commitment to luxury and comfort. And during those chilly nights, Asha and I have found that slipping into Cozy Earth bedding is like a warm embrace. Cozy Earth has a luxurious bedding collection from pillows to blankets and is designed to reinvent your sanctuary. And I know the holidays have passed, but the pajama and cuddle blanket are the perfect gifts to make their cozy nights extra cozy. Cozy Earth stands by their product with a 10-year warranty, promising a decade of restful sleep. And let's face it, sleep is something we could all use more of. Cozy Earth has provided an exclusive offer for the Overwhelm Brain listeners, up to 35% off site-wide when you use the code BRAIN. Transform your sleep experience and wrap yourself in the comfort you deserve. That's 35% off with the code BRAIN at CozyEarth.com. Go to CozyEarth.com, use the promo code BRAIN, and get 35% off site-wide.
Now, let's just throw that aside for a minute. And that's a big one to throw aside. But let's just say that he is 100% honest in when he says, I would never put my hands on you again. I absolutely know that in my heart. I realize how much that, uh, how much damage I did. I realize that it was just the worst possible thing I could ever do. And I have learned, and let's just say he also said, I take full responsibility for it. And it was wrong. I was stupid. I was uh, just so angry that I didn't even consider your feelings. Let's just say he's being honest about it. I wasn't even considering your feelings. I was just afraid that I was losing the argument and it was just a dumb thing to do. I am so, so sorry. Let's just say that he said all of that. It still doesn't clear him for all the other behaviors that are outlined in this message. And she said, this is like the tip of the iceberg. This is just a synopsis, a tiny little snippet of their life. And if this is a tiny little snippet, you're going through hell. You're going through too much. Your resilience and tolerance have grown to the point where you don't even realize what abuse is anymore because you've taken so much or you're taking so much, almost probably on a daily basis. And I hate to tell you that because I know you're looking for something hopeful. I, I know you are looking for the good man under the underneath. And here's the thing. There's a good person under every abusive person. There is. Under every single abusive person in the world, there's a good person underneath. How do I know that? Because we're not born abusers. We're not born to hurt people. We're born good. <laughs> we're born to laugh and interact and hug and love. We're not born wanting to hurt someone else. We're born wanting to connect with other people. That's the good person underneath. But that can describe anyone. That can describe the serial killer. That doesn't even sound right, right? There can't be a good person underneath that. Now, that good person may be so buried under fear and anger or an unhealthy ego, whatever their upbringing brought them or whatever their condition, whatever condition they were born with, put them into the world as a different person than they were born. And it's said that the conditions like narcissistic personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, and other conditions are what people are born with. And I know there are genetic factors and environmental factors, how their upbringing went, and there's a predisposition involved in it. I think the most recent research is that they're not really born with it, but for the most part, they can develop a condition like this over time. So the science says that there's nothing you can do about it. And sure, that could be true. I'm not an expert in that area. That could be true. I do believe that when you nurture the the aspects of someone that um, are good, that they can still turn out to be good people. They may not have as much emotional connection or empathy, but they could still function in the world. They could still be a person that you can connect with in some way. But let's just say that uh, some people are born like that. I mean, I'm going to go with the science here. Some people are born with NPD and antisocial personality. And some people are born like that. When it comes to that, in my opinion, it doesn't matter. And here's why. It doesn't matter if they were born like that or they developed these tendencies or these behaviors. It doesn't matter because all that matters is how someone treats you today. 
That's it. That's all that matters. How do they treat you today? How are they treating you right now? How do they treat you on a daily basis? Because if you can say, well, they treat me great every day, or at least we get along great every day. We get along nicely. <laughs> you don't even have to go that deep. You could just say, yeah, we get along. <laughs> but let's just say that you get along. You get along nicely every day. That's how they treat you. That's who they are right now. That's how they're showing up. And occasionally they lose their temper. Okay. Is that okay with you if they occasionally, occasionally lose their temper? Well, let's just say that you say, no, I don't want them to ever lose their temper. Well, you might be asking for a lot. Not everyone is capable of not having a temper. <laughs> it would be nice if everyone could temper their temper and could find other coping mechanisms. But some people, yeah, they have a temper. But is it harmful? Or are they just letting off steam, that pressure that builds up when we are driven to that, that point, that feeling that we have, that we just can't feel like we can't defend ourselves or protect ourselves, so we have to lash out. How are we lashing out? Are we walking away and just letting off steam? Or are we going in the opposite direction? Are we going to lash out at another person? In this case, this is what happened. The person she's with lashed out at her. And it caused a big challenge for her. And of course, you know, let me just say this. There's no excuse for physical aggression. If you have to become physically aggressive with somebody that you're supposed to have a loving, trusting, supportive relationship with, then it's gone too far. And that's why she's writing this. That's why she wants to know what the chances are of this working out. And I, th I think I'm going to answer her question, which I already have in some ways, which is if you look at all the behaviors he does now, regardless of the, of the fact that he put his hands on you, if you look at all the other behaviors in the relationship, is this what you want in a relationship? Do you want him doing all these things that he's doing and wearing you out so you become reactive and then do you want him following you around the house and not respecting your boundaries? Do you want all of that? Do you want somebody who doesn't take responsibility? Do you want somebody like that who shifts the blame, makes you feel responsible for their bad decisions? Do you want somebody that does all of that? Or even better, a better question is, can you be okay with somebody who is like that for the rest of the time you're together? Can you be okay with all these other behaviors? Because it sounds like what you're asking me is, he put his hands on me once and I can't trust him. However, I want to know if this relationship will survive. And so that's the, the main gist of your email here. But all these other behaviors don't seem to be, or at least seem to me, to be as um, important as the physical part. And this tells me that your resilience and tolerance have grown to the point where finally there was a physical act, maybe to shake your world enough to say, no, there's a lot wrong with this relationship. There's a lot more going on than you just worrying about a physically abusive act that uh, pushes you over the edge. Because you haven't been pushed over the edge yet. So what would it take to push you over the edge if it's not that? Because the buildup has happened. The buildup has continued to happen in front of your eyes. And it finally got to this point 
where the message was loud and clear what your decision needs to be. I know you're looking for some sort of way that this could work because you're worried that you don't have enough finances to survive on your own and and do your own thing. I, I totally get that. You may feel stuck. And I know that feeling when you feel stuck and you feel like you can't do anything but continue to stay in a situation that makes you unhappy or worse, causes you to suffer. And I hate to see that. I hate to see that with anyone. And where I go when it comes to decisions like this is to once again, put those values out in front of me and ask myself, what's more important here? What is the most important? Because I hear your story or I read it. I read your story. And to me, the most important value for you is to feel safe. That tell, I mean, I could be wrong. There could be a value above that. And I know that it doesn't feel very safe to leave a home with uh, having no finances or very little finances. That's also an unsafe feeling. So you have some harder decisions to make there. And what I want you to do when you make this decision, whatever decision you make, is to throw out all these what-if scenarios. What if I had no choice but to move? What if he became so awful that I couldn't take it anymore and I had to move? What would I do then? So come up with the what-ifs. What if I stayed? What if I had to stay no matter what and things never changed or got worse? Now, you might be thinking, what if I stayed and it got better? If you haven't heard me talk about how the trend works, you have to remember that what happened yesterday and the week before and the month before is the same thing that's going to happen tomorrow and the week after and the month after. And you have to make decisions based on what you've seen already and what you're experiencing today. Remember the trend because that's what also helps you make the big decisions. And when you put yourself against the wall and you have no choice, you typically come up with a solution. It may not be a pleasant solution, but you do typically come up with a solution. I've done this many times in my life. What if I had no choice but to quit my job? What would I do then? Well, if I had no choice, then, uh, you know, I would come up with something. I would have to get another job. What, what if I couldn't get another job? Oh, it's another what if that's tough to deal with. But really think these things through. We don't typically think these things through because we really don't want them to happen. So we don't want to put any energy toward them. But it's important to have this plan, this pre-planning visualization or imagining what might happen if you did this or if nothing changed. And the question, what if nothing changes or what if I did move out, what would I do then? So after what if, you know, what if such and such happens or what if I have no choice, you followed up with what would I do then? And that's going to give you a possible solution or a possible direction. Maybe it's temporary. Maybe it's permanent. doesn't matter. You just put yourself through that, through those paces. It's sort of like I, I have to face a question every now and then in my own life. I'll ask almost the worst case scenario. Let's just say that uh, I need to make a house payment and I need Asha's income as well. What if I can't make that house payment? Well, one of us will get a job. Well, what if she left me? 
oh, that's a yucky scenario to think about. What would I do then? And really put myself through that process to figure it out. I may not come up with a solution. I just may come up with some possible ways to work this thing through. And I'm going to come up with ways that I probably never put too much thought about before. That's typically what happens. So um, I gave you a lot to consider and think about. I know I didn't go in the direction of how to make this a better situation because I really don't, I don't know if there is a way to make this situation any better. It sounds like this is who he is and this is who he's been. And it just got to the point of physical violence. And maybe this is the sign you need to really push you beyond your limit. And I hope you have a limit. What are your limits? That's another question. What is my limit? Listen to that episode of of Love and Abuse that I told you about earlier to help you decide what that's about, what it is for you. And before I go, I'm going to give you one last uh, what if question. And that is, what if you wake up tomorrow, he left you a note and said, I'm sorry for everything I did. I've left. I've moved on. I wish you well. I wish you the best life. And he took some of his stuff and he left and you never saw him again. How does that feel inside you? The answer to that question says a lot. And it could be a mixture of emotions. It could be one-sided, like I miss him so much, I don't want that to happen. Or it could be, wow, I feel liberated. I feel relieved. I feel at peace. Either way, try it on. Try that on because that can also help you make your decision. Some decisions are very hard to make. I understand that. So I wish you much strength and healing through all of this. And uh, thank you so much for sharing it with me. I appreciate you. And thanks for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank the patrons of the week. They are Mary, Dilek, Kenneth, Victoria, Maria, Chris. I appreciate all of you. Thank you for your financial support of the show. They value the show and decided that they wanted to give back. And I'm very grateful for that and surprised. (laughs) If you value the show and you want to give back, if you're in that position, head over to moretob.com. And there are options to do that over there. Thank you again, patrons. I'm very grateful. And for a show on how to navigate the difficult relationship, listen to my other podcast called Love and Abuse over at loveandabuse.com. And if you are the difficult one in the relationship, you can join the program that is helping a lot of people heal over at healedbeing.com. That is where I help uh, emotionally abusive people change and uh, improve themselves and their relationships. And finally, thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And speaking of narcissists, somebody wrote to me and said, I listened to your podcast. I've been listening for a few weeks now and you're speaking to my soul. I believe my husband is a covert narcissist. He's very harsh with me and our boys. We have uh, teenagers and sometimes when I tell him he's being harsh, I'm told to just deal with it. He's then hurt that I told him he hurt me. And then I will get the silent treatment for weeks at a time. And then when he decides to finally talk to me, I almost always get a long, tearful monologue of how his dad was mean and abusive to his mom and how he wasn't a good example of a husband growing up uh, or, or his dad wasn't a good example of a husband. And since he doesn't hit me, I should count myself lucky. After so many years of marriage, should I still be accepting that excuse? 
I have no idea how to respond to him when he goes on with that speech. He tells me often that if he's so abusive, I can call the cops. I just want to be able to share my hurts with him without being made to feel guilty about his childhood. Thank you for sharing that, and I hear you. I so hear you. Silent treatment for weeks at a time. Let me, just, again, a lot to unpack here, but let me just say this. The silent treatment is usually done to achieve an objective. Now, he may not be doing this uh, consciously, but uh, he's doing it, and there's a reason he's doing it, and the reason is usually because it's causing you to do something that he he needs or he wants. And what that could be is when he's in silent treatment, I wonder, do you give him attention? The reason I ask that is because I used to be a professional silent treatment doer. <laughs> Unfortunately, that was my MO. When I was hurt about something or I wanted to get my way, and I only know this now because back then I just didn't know how to handle it, but now I know why I was doing the silent treatment when I didn't get my way is because I wanted the other person, the person I was claiming to love, claiming to be a good partner with, I wanted her to feel bad for not doing what I wanted. So I would want my wife or my partner in my life to do something differently or change. And if they didn't, and I couldn't convince them to, I would go silent. And what that did was withdraw love and attention and affection. And what that did was cause the partner in my life to dote on me more, to give me more attention, to feel bad that they weren't uh, doing what I wanted or not doing enough for me. So I would actually achieve what is called secondary gain. I'm, I'm telling you this. I'm being very transparent about this. It's not something I'm proud of. I'm actually embarrassed to tell you this, but I believe it's important to let you know that I have done this. I was very good at it and it worked, but my relationships never lasted. So this is one of um, a few emotionally abusive behaviors that I did back then is that I would go silent and it wasn't a silence to process things. It wasn't like, oh, I need to consider what's going on here. I need to figure out why I'm feeling this way or figure out um, how to communicate this to you in a better way. It wasn't, it wasn't like that at all. It was an intentional, oh, you're not going to do this for me or you're trying to make me feel bad. So this is what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to withdraw love, attention and affection. And when I do that, you're going to give me lots of attention and feel sorry for me so that I come back to you. Again, this is not uh, the proudest moment of my life, but I did this a lot in my previous relationships. So the result was I was doted on. I was given attention. And not always, but sometimes their behavior would change because it was a manipulation. This is why I'm asking you um, what you do for him. Do you do anything for him? Do you give him attention? Do you say anything? Do you say, where are you? Because this is what would happen to me. They would say, where are you? 
when you're like this, I don't know where you are. It's very, uh, it's sad to me. And I miss you. I mean, in silence, they're gone. And they don't tell you what's going on in their mind. What uh, breaks this, this is what I had to learn. And um, I think I learned this after I stopped the behavior because I started working with emotionally abusive people. And I learned a lot about my own behavior because I had to heal from my own behaviors. And I realized why I did it. And I learned that if my partner came to me and said, hey, if you need to be in your own space, that's great. You know, take your time, whatever you need to process. Um, when you're ready, come on back, which would, would have been the opposite of what I wanted. I wouldn't want my partner to disappear from my life at that moment. I would want her to be with me because it's, it's, it's part of the, the manipulation at that time. It was part of what I wanted to achieve. And again, a lot of this was unconscious. I really didn't understand what I was doing until I healed and then understood what I was doing. It was sort of like a, an automatic program that, yes, I did have a choice not to do that, but I didn't know the damage it was doing. And I didn't know the, the damage I was even doing to myself going into this state. And so it would hurt them. It would hurt me. And I would, it would cause a huge disconnect in the relationship that grew wider and wider over time. And you've been married for a long time, according to this message you sent to me. So if you've been dealing with this for that long, I would want to know what the secondary gain that he's getting from it. Because this does sound like covert narcissism or at least a tendency toward that. He may not be a narcissist. He, he could just have those tendencies. It's a very selfish, self-fulfilling, self-protective, self-defensive way to get his way because it must work for him. There's something he gets from it. So if my partner came up to me and said, okay, if you need to be in your own space, do your thing, I will fully support that. I love you and I fully support that. And when you're ready to come back, great, I'll be here. If she did that to me, I would think, well, uh, 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 I don't, what? I don't want that. I don't want that. And then I might come up with a sob story. <laughs> like this person, he comes up with a sob story. So he finally comes out, or comes up with the um, past, his past about what made him this way. And it could all be true. Everything he says could all be true. But the fact that he's not doing anything about it, he's not seeking some help for it, and it's been all this time, that excuse gets very old. But again, what does he get from it? What is his secondary gain? What is the benefit to his misery? Because I'm willing to bet when he tells this story, you're a good listener. And if you listen and you say, I understand that, but uh, you're still hurting me, uh, it's still going to get him something. It's a, his excuse. It's his way out. That's what it sounds like to me. This is my way out. I'm going to give the sob story. She's going to understand and she's going to let me go. What would happen instead of doing that if you said something along the lines of, you know what, that may all be true, but the way you're treating me is still hurtful. So if you do have stuff to deal with, then you need to talk to somebody about that. But the way you're treating me is still hurtful and I won't accept it anymore. I understand that you might be hurt and you might need to deal with this stuff, but that is something you have to deal with. 
because what you're doing is you're bringing your unhealed trauma into this relationship and hurting me now. And I don't know, what is your intention? Do you want me to feel bad? Do you want me to hurt? And I'm not saying you have to say all this. I'm just saying this is the kind of the mindset that you might have to develop. Look, you know what? I do feel bad for you. You did have a hard life, but you, you need to work on that stuff. You need to work on your stuff because what's happening is what you don't process and heal, you bring into our relationship. And I don't want to have that kind of relationship where you're not dealing with your stuff. So you bring it into our relationship and affect us. Because every time this happens, every time you go silent, and then every time you tell me this story, I feel less connected to you. And the gap is getting wider and wider every single time. And I don't want that gap to get wider. I want to love the man I met. Where is that man? And every time you disappear and withdraw love and withdraw your attention, it causes me to pull back too. And there's going to be a point where I'm pulling back so much that I won't be able to stop it. I won't be able to stop my heart from closing because I feel like you're closing your heart on me. So again, you don't have to say this stuff, but this is the mindset. This is the kind of thinking, at least that I have, when somebody's in this situation. This is the kind of thinking I have, is that you have to wean them off the addiction of the dysfunction. The dysfunction might be the silent treatment where they get the secondary gain, some benefit. So you have to take away that benefit to prevent this from happening in the future. Because I guarantee you, if my one of my partners in the past, and I don't blame them for not doing this, I don't think they knew any of this stuff. But if my partners in the past pulled back from me and gave me space and didn't feel sorry for me, didn't say, oh, I'm so sorry. They just gave me space and said, hey, it sounds like you need some space, so go ahead and process. And when you're ready to come back, I'd love to uh, connect with you again. But what they did was made it very matter of fact. Hey, you you need your space? Great, I'll give you that space. I'm going to be doing my own thing. And when you're ready to come back, I know you go through your stuff. So I'm going to be over here. And when you're ready to come back, let me know and we can reconnect. When you take away the secondary gain, it weans them off the dysfunction and By doing that, it may create another dysfunction and we may have to deal with that when it comes, but it shows that, how can I say this? It shows that you're not going to play the game anymore. The game is set up for them to win. It's, It's in their favor. So he might be and I don't think he thinks it's a game. I'm I'm sure it's real. I'm not downplaying his suffering at all, but he's been using this as maybe an excuse not to deal with it or He doesn't want to feel the pain, so he pushes the pain onto you. Or he doesn't want to suffer or deal with his past, and it comes out in other ways. And that's what happens. When we don't deal with our past, it always comes out in other ways. And unfortunately, when there are people in our lives, that's where that pain goes. It goes toward them. And in emotionally abusive situations, I see this all the time. I don't want to deal with what's really troubling me inside. So I'm going to push what I don't want to deal with onto you. And that comes out in different types of dysfunctional ways. So I wanted to read this message because it was very similar in a way that that you have a partner, just like this other person in the last segment had a partner that um, is doing behaviors 
that make us think, why the heck am I in this situation? Why the heck am I in this relationship? If this person can't even treat me like a, an equal, why can't this person treat me as an equal? Why can't we work on things together? Why don't they support my happiness just like I support theirs? I hope something in what I said today helps. Thank you so much for sharing this and I wish you much strength through this. And remember, always keep an open mind because that's how you make the best decisions. Be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. <laughs> <laughs>